What up guys, my name is Mateo, welcome back. So it's been a while since we've done a video like this where we talk about some of the fundamentals with Monero and why it is we're so hype about it. Um, yes, we've been laying out the super hyper mega bullish case. We've been putting it into a context of what's going on in the world uh, that make private digital cash look immensely valuable. You know, we'll talk about what's going on in Canada with the Freedom Convoy and, you know, people having their Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies traced by the authorities and doxing and uh, bank accounts getting shut down. Monero is awesome for that, obviously. We look at what's going on in the EU with, you know, them talking about setting up, you know, digital asset databases to track everybody's assets. Or maybe we'll look at, uh, you know, the central bank digital currency coming down the pike. There's so many things going on in the world. You know, MasterCard creating this carbon credit card, which is going to track how much carbon you're using with your money. I mean, Yes, we look at all that stuff, and that puts Monero into a context that people can understand because people think, oh, private digital money, you know, the Jose Sanchez on the dark webs are using this stuff in order to do nefarious things. Why do I need it? And so a lot of people misperceive Monero as just being a privacy coin. And they don't understand the implications of that, and they don't understand also many other things going on with the project, which make it truly the ideal candidate for digital cash. And that's what crypto is ultimately supposed to be, is just supposed to be private, decentralized, peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. That was the fundamental use case of it. And with all the craziness going on with crypto nowadays, to some degree that's been lost. But it's good that we have some people coming to the channel who are curious about this. Um, I've seen some comments. I've received some emails of people who are like, hey, dude, cool videos. Uh, I'm going to have to dig into your older stuff to get a better understanding of this because uh, you, know, you have some assumptions in your videos about what this stuff is that I'm not totally understanding. So I understand that. And so what I want to do with this video is I just kind of want to like backtrack and talk about uh, why it is that this has very, very good fundamentals uh, for us and can be worthy of excitement. So uh, with that being said, I've got five things written down that I want to go over today. And if you guys have some other things that you're excited about in regards to Monero, leave it in the comments. Let us know what you think. And if you've got something to add to the conversation, I'd love to hear from you. But I think I've got a good list here. I think I've got a good list. And um, let me know what y'all think. So first off, Monero is private. Yes, we know. Uh, this is what we just discussed. But this has many implications beyond it just being private. Okay. Um, the privacy element is fundamental for any currency to be actually deemed to be a currency. Uh, this is something that is lost on a lot of people. They think privacy is just some element that maybe they need if they're doing something bad or they doing, they're doing something that they don't want someone else to know. Well, it's actually much more fundamental than that. Philosophically, money is supposed to have something called fungibility. And fungibility makes it so that every unit of account equals every other unit of account so that all those units of account are equally interchangeable, meaning that there are no, you know, arbitrary subjective valuations of certain units of account that may be different from the other units of account, making it so that if somebody over here maybe has two Bitcoin, then maybe they have more value than somebody over here who has four Bitcoin, but maybe those four Bitcoins are blacklisted. Maybe those four Bitcoins were mined in China or something like that. And so they're tainted. And so they can't put them onto exchanges or else the exchange maybe shuts down their account or they can't put it up as collateral for a loan on BlockFi lest they shut down uh, the loan. They call back the loan. This is all very well documented. Go check out uh, Seth for Privacy's 
fungibility graveyard. He goes into a lot of detail on that. But fungibility is so, so important for anything to be considered money and so that you can be confident that the money that you are receiving from somebody else actually has the value that it's purported to have as per the market value. Um, that's not so obvious when it comes to other currencies which are not fungible because, as we just talked about, they could be blacklisted, they could have been involved with some high-risk activity, and that uh, adds an element of uncertainty to the system that you would otherwise not like to have when it comes to cryptocurrency or currency in general. Now, the interesting thing about things like Bitcoin is that they're saying that they're trying to fix the fungibility with extra-layered solutions. Okay. Um, that's problematic because that adds more complexity to the situation. And ultimately, that doesn't fix the fungibility issue on the first layer, which ultimately everything is built on top of. With Monero, if there are second or third layers built, which I'm not aware is in development right now, I've heard some talk about Lightning Networks being built on Monero, but it's already very fast and we'll get to that. But it's built on a foundation which is fundamentally flawed. Uh, anything that is built upon Bitcoin because of that lack of fungibility. Now, the Bitcoin bros will say that it is fungible technically. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin on the protocol level. That's nice in theory, but that's not the case in practice. In practice, because every UTXO, every Bitcoin can be tracked and traced, and a subjective valuation can be gleaned from where that Bitcoin came from, that's not just a government issue. That's not just some corporate compliance issue this could be an individual issue you know if you're dealing with uh you know somebody who's religiously oriented and has very strong belief systems and you know you want to give them bitcoin which came from you know uh, uh you know some uh cow killer or something i don't know uh you know some meat harvester I, who knows um I can think of, th of things worse than that. You probably could do. But maybe they say, I don't want to take your Bitcoin. I don't want to do business with you because it looks like your wallet's been associated with other wallets which are involved in X or Y activity. So this helps, this fungibility element helps the network function that much more seamlessly without there having to be all of these subject evaluations which can screw up uh, the functionality of the system. So that's very, very important because Monero is private on the base layer. It has that. And Bitcoin does not. Other cryptos, most other cryptos do not have that at all. And that's what really gives it a big leg up as being legit cryptocurrency. So that's something to note. And just to give a, uh, you know, kind of an overview as to why you can heuristically believe this has privacy without going into ring signatures, without uh, understanding stealth addresses and everything else uh, on the protocol level, which makes it private, which is some pretty advanced cryptography. You can look at this and know that, hey, uh, I can be pretty confident that's private because it says the IRS has a $625,000 cash bounty on whoever can crack Monero. Um, and this has been open for a number of years now, and nobody's done it yet. And you'll see if you're new to Monero, and I receive this every other day, and I'm sure if you've been into Monero, you'll receive this a lot too, where it's like they'll post some cipher trace article about uh, how they finally cracked Monero and they can track, track and trace it now. Do the research on that. It's not true. It's not deterministic. And even then, as we're about to get to, Monero's increasing uh, its privacy by increasing the ring sizes and there could be other developments going down uh, going on down the line that make the privacy better 
So that's something to note. They can't track it. They can't trace it yet. Obviously, if you've got like the eye of Sauron on you and you're like you're running from the feds or from like the worldwide global police system or whatever, you know, practice some OPSEC, but ultimately Monero is going to be your best bet. It's pretty dang private and it's taking over the dark web marketplaces for that reason. So if there are people risking their lives on using this crypto uh, in order to engage in high risk activity, then you can be pretty confident yourself that it does the job. So um, this guy says, Insignia001 on Reddit, the fact that nobody has been able to do it after two years just goes to show how valuable Monero is when it comes to privacy. And this is on the cryptocurrency Reddit. So, yep, that's good to note. But that's what I wanted to note for the privacy. And as we talked about, the privacy is going to be getting better There is a fork that is going on on the 16th of July. Uh, And this is by Seth for Privacy. Go give him a follow if you're new here. Uh, He's got pretty much everything you need to know about this stuff. Um, And you're going to have the ring size increase from 11 to 16. The largest absolute increase in base anonymity. Um, You've got upgraded bulletproofs, which will reduce the typical transaction size by about 5 to 7% and improved typical verification performance by 5 to 7%, making every transaction lighter and faster. Uh, view tags, which is going to reduce wallet sync times by 30 to 40%. And let's just go to number two, which is you have continuous development going on in Monero. Um, Monero has been developing consistently uh, for many years now. Um, this is somewhat in contrast to Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin does have some developments. For instance, they just had Taproot, uh, in the last five months. And that actually made Monero more attractive because that makes it so that uh, people could privately atomic swap from Bitcoin into Monero uh, or other currencies, mind you, and have it look like any other transaction. So somebody could actually go to Monero uh, looking privately, and then they can kind of like use that as a medium to, uh, you know, kind of wash out their coins, if you will, or get coins privately or something like that. But then you run into the problem of, are you going to get tainted Bitcoin if you're using that uh, service? Because presumably there's no you know, KYC element. There's no oversight as to what's going on with those Bitcoins. So there's a risk factor for the people transacting their Monero for the Bitcoin, but not getting into all that. Um, you do have developments going on all the time, which is crazy. Um, in Monero, not really with Bitcoin. And that's something that the Bitcoin bros will tell you gives Bitcoin a store of value property. Because the code doesn't change that much, there's not that much risk consistently being introduced to the code, which may make some problem, which is unforeseen, right? Even though there's something going on in Bitcoin right now, there's some new BIP, which some people are deeming to be an attack on Bitcoin because it opens it up a lot to regulatory scrutiny and uh, control or something like that. Uh, you still have that risk, which is why I don't consider crypto at all to be a store of value. In regards to the store of value thing, and this is good to talk about in regards to the continuous upgrade thing, because that's one of the main reasons people say Monero isn't a store of value. It's like, oh, you guys have hard forks all the time. You guys are constantly updating the code. What if something goes wrong? Blah, 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 right? But the thing is, you want something which is staying ahead of the competition as a medium of exchange, right? I mean, 
that's one reason you don't want this to be your store of value is because there's so much technological development going on. And there are so many competitive pressures coming from all over the place. And it's not even just like one crypto maybe technically better and it may take over. It could just be like people get psyched up about stuff like Dogecoin <laughs> and then they like ditch a perfectly good crypto going to something that's crappy, but maybe has better marketing, right? So the store of value thing I think is problematic. But if you really do want a good store of value for your cryptocurrency, and Roger Ver makes this abundantly clear, and I agree with him, you need to have it be a reliable medium of exchange first. You need to actually build up a network of people who are going to use and accept this stuff so that you can have some confidence that you can use that crypto moving into the future, and so therefore you're going to hold on to it because you can anticipate it having value in the future. People are going to be able to take it for goods and services. So that is a good fundamental basis for establishing a store of value is that it's a good medium of exchange first. But you're not going to get that by just establishing some arbitrary HODL culture. People are just going to continue to buy this stuff. We don't change the code, so it's relatively safe, blah, blah, blah. That's not what you really want to do. And even then, I mean, is it really a store of value if it's on a public ledger? And as these governments become ever more authoritarian and want to conscript assets and do other funny things, which diminish people's private property rights, eh, I mean... That's questionable, right? I mean, there's that whole saying, if they know that you have something, uh, you're 90% of the way to conscription, even though you have your seed phrase or whatever, how safe are your assets really? I mean, if they know you're ha you have the assets, you know, maybe they decide that if you don't give up your crypto, they can garnish your wages or, uh, you know, they can get uh, assets from you elsewhere uh, through some other methods, right? So it's good to have a store of value that nobody knows about. I mean, that makes it much more valuable if nobody knows about it. So not to go down that whole thing. Um, it's continuously improving. So it's going to stay ahead of the game. It's going to be that much more deemed to be a reliable medium exchange because it's going to continue to beat out uh, data forensics firms which want to get more information on the blockchain like chain analysis, like CypherTrace because it's becoming more private. And as we're going to get to, it's very fast. Uh, if you use your confirmation, you may have to wait a little bit if you're using higher transactions, but that's not a problem if you're doing online service payments. Uh, and then you have low transaction fees because of dynamic block size. Again, we'll get to that too. And you've got tail emission. That also plays into the store of value thing. We'll get to that as well. But it is the best medium of exchange that's out there. And it's being used as a medium of exchange in environments where no other crypto can be used because Monero has that singular competitive advantage over all these other cryptos, which is that it's private. And if you can use this stuff on darknet marketplaces, which I know I don't use the darknet, neither do you probably, um, but the fact that it's being used there and you know no other crypto is being used really means that it has that going for it as a store of value. And that is a perfectly good use case for it to be a reliable medium of exchange that all of us could then use. So that's something to note. That's something to note. Um, let's move on to what some of these other developments are, right? So there's more, there's more security and re resilience to the network. Uh, yeah, so that's one thing you can look into if you want to. There is a fork going on soon, which is going to make some updates, which is super cool. Here's another update that I just saw today. This is from Monero Bro XMR Swap Me. Did somebody say mobile atomic swaps? Now, atomic swaps just came out, uh, I think, from Farcaster, like less than a year ago. Um, it was like totally novel and groundbreaking, it, only like seven, eight months ago. 
when I think the first Monero to Bitcoin atomic swap was done. And now you can do this stuff on your phone. So it's going to get easier and easier and easier. That's very bullish for Monero. I can't even understate that or overstate that, excuse me, but check it out. Now they're doing it on phone. Swap fee, V-O-1-O, -O, can do that. Since it's a web server, it is technically possible to perform a swap from anywhere. Check out the little stupid video we made, the encode, uh, made it wacky at part. Okay, whatever. So cool, man. So that's awesome. You can do atomic swaps with your phone. And if you don't know what atomic swaps is, it's basically like you can trustlessly peer to peer swap your Bitcoin or other cryptos for Monero. And that's a way that people can get into Monero without having to go to an exchange. And one of the big criticisms that Monero gets, particularly from people like uh, you know, Roger Ver from the Bitcoin cash world or whatever, is that, um, you know, it's not going to be allowed on a lot of exchanges going into the future because it actually poses a real threat to, you know, the government's control over the financial system um, and over our financial lives, really. And if it's truly private and it's as good of an immediate exchange as it is, as Michael Saylor said, if you want something really good, go to Monero. Um, well, then it's not going to be, uh, you know, just allowed to fly and, uh, you know, live its wonderful, beautiful life without resistance. Um, there's going to be probably crackdowns which come and they're going to make it difficult for you to get this stuff. And centralized methods of getting this, whether you're going through an exchange or, or whatever, uh, may become more difficult, in which case you have uh, atomic swaps as an option. You have Haveno, which we're about to talk about here. You've got Thorchain. You've got local Monero. Uh, you have other options which are going to pop up. Wherever there is a spirit of liberty, there is going to be uh, you know, a methodology by which people are going to get it. Monero is one avenue for that. And so you can anticipate that developments are only going to continue to make it so that people can access this stuff. And let's talk about Haveno now. Um, opening Monero to the world is their main statement. Uh, Haveno will be a non-custodial decentralized exchange for crypto and fiat currencies built on Tor and Monero. It doesn't get more private than that. So it's going to be totally uh, private. It's going to be totally decentralized. And if you don't know what BISC is, this is a fork of BISC. And BISC was a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer exchange that was based on Bitcoin. And this is going to be based on Monero. And this is going to make it so people have another avenue to get Monero totally privately and totally trustlessly. So that is amazing. Um, and one thing that's cool is that part of the fee paid on Haveno will sponsor Monero development. Now, some people don't like this because this creates sort of like a federation type thing where uh, they kind of determine through a centralized way, as far as I understand, uh, how like what projects to go fund the, the, the fees at. Um, you can debate about that, but ultimately, this is an awesome service. Uh, Haveno aims to be easy to use, especially for non-technical people. Uh, it's decentralized. So this is huge. This is huge for many, many reasons. 
One, because people are not liking the direction that these centralized exchanges are taking in regards to KYC, in regards to tracking what everybody's doing with their crypto, in regards to uh, blacklisting addresses, as they did with like 25,000 Russian accounts. So uh, they're becoming ever more regulatorily captured by the government. And so people are going to want to get off these exchanges because a lot of the trading in crypto goes on on these exchanges. And if you can trade on a private decentralized marketplace like this, well, that's super beneficial for you because you're not going to have to, well, you will. <laughs> Let me be careful with the language. Uh, you will have to comply with the law, but uh, you know, if you decide not to for whatever reason, which I don't advise, then that's going to be made that much more easier. Uh, and people will opt for that for whatever wrong in the legal uh, arguments they come up with to do that. But I'm just saying, like, that's what people are going to be thinking. Um, but I'm not saying that this encourages illegality. It just I'm not trying to do anything like that. But look, uh, this is going to make, again, Monero easier to get. We don't have to worry about regulatory crackdowns as much. And even then, um, even if you're Bitcoin, even if you're Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, whatever, uh, and you think that because you allow a little bit of surveillance onto your blockchain, that doesn't necessarily mean that the government's just going to let you use your crypto however you otherwise would have wanted to. Um, if it's a competitor to their CBDC or to their uh, control over the financial system, then they're going to destroy it and they're going to regulate it. They're going to do something to completely hamper what its initial use case and purpose was, which was private decentralized peer-to-peer -peer cash. Um, now they may get the tendies because they're able to finagle their way into institutional investors, uh, you know, uh, you know, portfolios or whatever, but um, that's not something that we're necessarily interested in. We're interested in freedom first. We're interested in creating parallel economies. The tendies aren't really that important to us, even though I still think Monero is going to go hyper freaking nuclear at some point. I mean, guys, <laughs> Monero is $3.5 billion, dude. And I'm not trying to make this about the price here on this video, but dude, you have to understand how ridiculous that is. Going back to the privacy argument, the VPN market out there is like $35 billion a year in revenue. Okay, you don't think people want privacy for their online internet uh, financial activity? Of course they will. So, yeah, totally undervalued, but it's non-custodial. And we're going to be hearing more about custodianship in regards to crypto, I think, moving into the future because of the Lightning Network uh, and because of other developments going on. I mean, Russia, quote-unquote, adopted Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin bros were very excited about this, except just about everything was custodial in KYC. So the fact that this is non-custodial and private and decentralized, I mean, this is very, very good for us. And by the way, you can buy Monero with cash, with your national currencies, using this service. Now, it's not going to be as easy as, you know, you connect your bank to Heveno and then you can just buy this stuff like you can with Kraken or whatever. But um, you're going to be able to do cash in the mail. You're going to be able to meet these people face to face or do some other thing, maybe Venmo. But you're, you're going to have like escrow services and you're going to have other things which make that able to happen. And I imagine, I mean... I, I imagine there's going to be some kind of like reputation structure which plays into this where people who are most trusted are going to be those who people do the most business with. And so there's going to be that kind of element which is introduced to this, which is going to make it much more of a reliable thing. Because that sounds a little sketchy to me, um, but I, I think that 
there's going to be a culture involved with this, which makes that somewhat of a reliable type deal. And even then, there are arbitrators on Havana, which are going to be able to uh, determine whether or not a trade should or should have gone through. So you do have some backup there, but then that goes into the whole, well, how decentralized is this really? If you have arbitrators, if you have like some federation, which is sending the you know fees that they're getting over to the Monero development group, I get all that. It's ultimately a way that you can go from other cryptos like Bitcoin, Zcash, Ether, etc. into Monero in a private decentralized way. That's the main thing I want to convey to you guys. That's a development which just recently happened in Monero, and that's why I'm talking about it right now. So there are some other cryptos you could use, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, etc. And here's another development going on, um, just as an example. The private or excuse me, the decentralized peer-to-peer mining pool. Uh, this is from Untraceable. He says, you can now help secure and decentralize the Monero network and be rewarded with small amounts of Monero by mining p2ppool.io with any computer in the official GUI wallet. No additional investment or new hardware needed. Anyone can contribute. So they're incentivizing people in order to use the peer-to-peer mining pool, which we'll get to later. That's another thing that we really love about the project is the very decentralized orientation for the mining, uh, which you don't really have as much in other cryptocurrencies, which are ASICs-oriented and don't have peer-to-peer mining pools. Um, And so... That's something which is really cool. Another great development. So if you get like the main wallet downloaded, the main GUI wallet, from what I understand, you're going to be able to mine with the P2P pool, which helps decentralize the network. So just a wonderful community. It's really cool. And here's another upgrade going on. Seraphis. Uh, we've talked in passing about Seraphis, but there are some great things going on with this that I'll just kind of go over quickly. Uh, the following assumed Seraphis upgrade is accompanied by the Japtis addressing scheme. Don't know what that is, but here are the main points. Massive improvement in ring size, which is a privacy improvement. And I think I read somewhere like this new upgrade that we talked about previously is going from 11 for the ring size to 16. This could take it to like 100 <laughs> from what I read. So this will massively increase the privacy, um, increase modularity of the transaction pool, easier upgrades in the future. Uh, point three, new wallet tier, allowing v- full view only wallet functionality without the spend key. Uh, point four, new wallet tier, allowing fast light wallet syncing with greater privacy than existing solutions. Uh, point five, new address scheme adds first-class support for embedded signatures to prevent man-in-the-middle attacks. And so, yeah, you have some cool stuff going on, some of the cons, it adds complexity, new addresses are longer. So that's a balanced take that you could look into. But, yeah, that's just another big thing that's going on. And you guys would be surprised, if you're new to this community, how quickly these initiatives get funded. I mean, they get funded, like, within days. And the community is very passionate about this stuff. Very tight-knit, and so uh, that's fantastic. And I do want to talk about this real quick because I found this really interesting. I had actually asked this question on Twitter. I said, hey, if I were to go to a church or I were to go to a charity and I would want them to accept Monero uh, for donations, but I also wanted to make it so that they could show the public what they were receiving in donations and how they were spending their money, like, would that be optimal? How would they do that? And 
Kevin Watt, I think, was the one who responded and said, well, Seraphis, they're going to be able to do the following. So I'll read this to you. It says, you might know that Monero addresses offer view key functionality where you can provide a view key to a device or a third party and allow it to watch for incoming outputs on your behalf. So basically, it could see the funds going into the wallet in real time, but without giving up spend authority. So it can't see the money being spent or how it's being spent. It can just see the money coming into the wallet. This is useful for wallets, which can stay updated while keeping your spend key safely locked away. It's also useful for cases where you want to have external view access, like a public charity offering transparency or a company with an accounting department. The downside to Monero view keys is that they don't provide complete or fine-grained view access. It's not possible to reliably detect when a wallet spends funds, which makes it difficult to compute wallet balances properly when the view key isn't available. It's also not currently possible to detect incoming outputs without also learning the value contained in those outputs, which means many, which means any third party is responsible for finding incoming outputs will learn exactly how much Monero you are acquiring. Um, so interesting stuff. Seraphis addressing constructions can solve this. With Seraphis, your address comes equipped with different keys that can do different things. And uh, it can watch for incoming in outputs but hide their value, watch for incoming outputs but show their value, watch for outgoing outputs, help you generate transactions, but not, and blah, 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 right? So, yeah, Seraphis is a major change to the Monero ecosystem. A lot of modifications, blah, blah, blah. But basically, it's going to make it so that um, you can have donors know that their money's going to the right place and how much money that their, uh, you know, donating destination is getting. I explained that terribly, but <laughs> I hope that makes sense. It's good for charities. It's good for, uh, you know, businesses that want to keep track of sort of how much money they've got coming in. And uh, it's... This goes to point three, okay? This goes to point three, good segue. Monero is the most legally compliant crypto. And because of these view and spend keys, it can actually make Monero legally compliant and optionally transparent. And that makes it so that, yes, like audits can happen for companies which take Monero and, you know, they're obviously going to be doing their own books and, you know, they'll have their QuickBooks set up and all that stuff. You can still do bookkeeping if you take Monero as part of your business, right? Um, but this makes it so that it's perfectly regulatory compliant. And I do want to pull this up right now so that I can show this too. Um, Perkins Cooey. Uh, how do you spell Cooey? Monero. So check this out. Perkins Coie came out with a paper which basically said, yeah, even though Monero is a private cryptocurrency, it is uh, perfectly in compliant with existing AML laws. So is it possible for regulated entities to comply with anti-money laundering obligations when supporting privacy coins like Monero? In our view, yes. So um, you can read the paper here, but because of those view and spend keys, it makes it very regulatory compliant. And also because everything is voluntarily donated. Uh, <laughs> let me drink a little tea. I'm getting winded. Because everything is voluntarily uh, 
because everything is built with donations. I don't know why it's so hard for me to say. Um, there's no dev tax. There's no, uh, you know, there's no pre-mine. There's none of that funny stuff going on with this. And so because it's totally crowdfunded, decentralized, there's no regulatory attack vector that can say, hey, this is actually to some degree a centralized project, which means it needs to be regulated. This can be considered a security, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we talked about that with Arctic Mine. Go check out the interview. I think it's right here, actually. Um, no, this is his talk on scaling. I think maybe this is it. Yeah, so check it out on our channel. Arctic Mine Monero is one of the market's most legally compliant coins. Um, I think he's on the uh like legislation outreach group and like they do negotiations with the eu and stuff like that as to how the stuff should be regulated and um yeah it's one of the most legally compliant coins there is contrary to what a lot of people think because it's used on the dark web because it's private blah 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 then there should be crackdowns on it they're going to ban it whatever and who knows maybe they do but there is a precedent for one privacy financial privacy um, and two, this stuff not being regulated because this is basically free speech, okay? Everything's voluntary, and it's, at the end of the day, code, right? So now that doesn't mean there aren't, like, tax implications or legal implications. I'm just saying that provides a good basis for this stuff to, you know, kind of just be on its way. But we're not naive here. <laughs> I mean, with this stuff being able to do what it does, and with the potential for this to really disrupt the current financial system, if this is really starting to get adopted, um, we're not naive. There definitely could be crackdowns. They could make it difficult. They could go to people like Microsoft and Apple. Hey, anything that supports Monero wallet-wise, app-wise, kick it off. And then we've all then got to use like, uh, you know, uh, you know, open source software and some other things in order to get around all that. But look... There is a regulatory basis for this stuff being perfectly compliant, and you shouldn't have fears that you're going to get in trouble for buying this stuff. Like, I've actually run into that, where people are like, oh, dude, I don't know if I want to buy Monero, man. It's not on my exchange, and given what I've heard about it, I don't want to be put on some list for buying this stuff. I've actually heard that before, and I'm sure some of you may have too. Show them this part of the video or show them that interview that I did with Arctic Mine so that they can assuage their fears. It's a perfectly legal cryptocurrency. In fact, it's one of the most legal cryptocurrencies because you look at a lot of these cryptocurrencies like Zcash, for example, which has a developer tax uh, that opens it up to regulatory scrutiny. Or you look at something like Darrow, which we've talked about here on the channel, which has a pre-mine that opens it up to regulatory scrutiny, from what I understand. And uh, I think Haven has a has a dev tax as well. And so all these things are not optimal, right? D did I have something else written down there? Uh, there's something else I wrote down for legally compliant. There's also another element which makes it nice. It's all voluntarily donated, which is good. Anyways, let's move on. Point number four is that Monero is scalable and efficient. Okay. So, yes. Uh, in regards to a lot of other cryptos, as we've seen with Ethereum, as we've seen with Bitcoin, once you get to a certain number of users and participants in the network, it can really start to freeze things up and then fees get like super jacked up. Okay, this is actually counterintuitively opposite of what's going to happen with Monero. Not only 
are you going to have more privacy because the anonymity set increases? As more people use Monero, there are more outputs for uh, the rings to choose from in regards to decoys uh, in order to obfuscate your transaction and not to get into all that, but it increases the privacy and the anonymity set the more people that use this stuff. But also, um, you get to something called dynamic block size, where the blocks then grow to accommodate the increase in the volume of the transactions and the price, the fee that each person pays for their transaction actually goes down. It's counterintuitive. Go listen to Arctic Mind. He gives a good explanation of this stuff because he talks about like quadratic stuff and all this. There's some pretty interesting math behind it, but um, it's mind-blowing, this development, because no other crypto has this. Because to have this, you need to have tail emission, which Monero is very unique in. And we were talking about Peter Todd, who is a Bitcoin developer um, the other day as to him retweeting a post about tail emission because we're about to go into tail emission actually, um, I think in the next couple weeks, where miners are continuously incentivized for the rest of time with a subsidy. Now, the counter argument that you'll hear from the people who don't like tail emission is that, well, that introduces inflation into the system. That means that the purchasing power of everybody who is part of the system is going to incessantly be decreased because you're continuously offering the people mining the blocks or, or that's not the, who are facilitating the transactions uh, more Monero, right? And Well, yeah, that's right. So why would I want to hold that? That sounds like a bad store of value. Well, you need to do that in order to incentive, incentivize the miners to continue to secure the network. This is one of the main problems with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, all these other cryptos, which have a fixed amount of that crypto as part of its supply. Because at some point, you run out of new crypto to mine. And then why do the miners want to continue to mine the blocks if they're not going to continue to get subsidized to do so? They've got bills to pay. They've got energy costs, right? And so what are they going to do? I mean, they may just pack up shop and leave. But if you do that, then who's going to facilitate the transactions? The transaction fees are going to have to go up, right? And so that's going to make it less efficient. And by the way, the security is going to drop. So the fact that there's tail emission to incentivize miners to continue to mine this stuff makes it really the best option for a store of value because you can anticipate it being secure that much further into the future, contrary to many of these other cryptos. And in regards to the inflation thing, for the next 10 years or so, Monero is actually going to have less inflation than Bitcoin, um, even with the whole tail emission thing. It's got less supply than Bitcoin, and um, it's disinflationary, right? The amount being introduced is very small, but it's a fixed amount, so relative to the entire supply, it's actually a dwindling inflation rate. And so you don't have to worry about hyperinflation or something like that happening. Um, but let's move on. So we'll go over some basics in regards to this stuff written by people much more than me, <laughs> just so you don't think I'm off my rocker. This is from Mineropedia. Uh, the basics, Monero block reward rewards will never drop to zero block rewards block rewards will gradually drop until tail emission commences at the end of mid 2022 at this point rewards 
will be fixed at 0.6 XMR per block. Why? Miners need an incentive to mine. Because of the dynamic block size, competition between miners will cause fees to decrease. Right. If mining is not profitable, due to a high cost and low reward, miners lose their incentive and will stop mining, reducing the security of the network. Tail emission ensures that a dynamic block size and fee market can develop. So in order for us to continue to have low fees, counterintuitively, we need to continue to have more Monero introduced into the system. We need to have a little bit of inflation. So it's really ingenious, this system. Um, and if you want to know more about scaling, this is the guy to go to. Like, this is the godfather of Monero scaling. And Arctic Mine, one of the things that blew my mind in the interview with him is that he didn't go to Monero from Bitcoin. And he was like an early Bitcoin bro. He was in Bitcoin in like 2010. Okay, so this guy knows what he's talking about. He left Bitcoin completely because not of the privacy necessarily, but because of the scalability. He was concerned of the fixed cap amount for Bitcoin, which everybody thinks is a great thing. Oh, well, we're not going to have inflation problems. It's only going to be deflationary from here. And so the value of our Bitcoin can only go up. Well, that could be good. And that could, you know, introduce good incentives into the economy because people will be incentivized to spend less. They're not worried about like future inflation hanging over their heads. So they're going to front run inflation, then consume like crazy, right? It's going to, you know, uh, encourage a low time preference behavior, which is good, but there is a security issue in regards to that. And there is, you know, a lot of uncertainty about the future in regards to that. And nobody knows really what's going to happen. <laughs> you even ask honest Bitcoin people, they're like, yeah, we actually don't know what's going to happen. Like Peter Todd, who developed on Bitcoin. He's like, yeah, I think Monero was right about the tail mission. Maybe we should look into that. And people are like, no, store value, <laughs> right? So, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Go check out this guy. He's very smart. But let's talk a little bit about dynamic block size. This guy has a pretty good explanation here. Spirit, Spurt Nika. Uh, he says, dynamic block size helps us to ensure that block size can grow organically, but in a constrained fashion. It prevents artificial scarcity of block space and runaway transaction fees while also keeping blockchain growth in check. Tail emission is an integral part of dynamic block size. Miners must sacrifice a certain percentage of the block to enlarge the block. If the reward goes to zero, the whole system falls apart. Ongoing emission also helps incentivize long-term base layer security as well as egalitarian distribution of coins, the issue at hand is that blockchain space shouldn't cost too much or too little. Otherwise, blockchain bloat will make running a full node impractical. The interaction between dynamic block size, tail emission, and transaction fees helps keys the transaction fees within acceptable parameters. So this is incredibly smart. And this guy makes a good point to here. He says dynamic block size enables blocks to grow in proportion with user base and roughly follow the trend of hardware getting cheaper. So... This is another thing, and I think Satoshi had talked about this. Don't quote me on this, but the idea was the block size was going to grow going into the future as hardware got better, as bandwidth got better, which allowed it so that more computing power could be had to facilitate more transactions. And so in order to accompany that, the network or the protocol rather needs to adopt bigger blocks so that they can have more block, uh, more transactions in each block and accommodate that increase in purchasing power and that uh, and you would want to optimize 
uh, efficiency. You'd want to optimize how many transactions can be had, the scalability, right? And so this helps for that process of, what is it, like Moore's Law or something like that, to really take place and it allows Monero to optimally adapt to those developments in efficiency in that uh, market or in that way. So that's something to note. It's one of the best scalable cryptos out there. So let's talk about uh, the efficiency of transactions. Uh, let's talk about zero conf real quick. And we made a whole video on this uh, called Monero in Real World Trade. Um, go check that out. I think that's one of the more underappreciated videos, but I think we did a pretty good job laying out the use case of it. But let's talk about it real quick here. Instant zero confirmation transactions compared to traditional fiat. Now, zero confirmation transactions aren't secure. They're not optimally secure. Uh, if you want to have your transaction be certain to go through, you got to wait for all the confirmations to go through, which for Monero is about 20 minutes. Uh, each confirmation is about two minutes. And so uh, you can have more confidence that the transaction will go through as you get more confirmations. But in everyday trade, you know, most people just want to pay and go. They're not going to wait a couple minutes lingering around for their transaction to go through. And so the question is, how risky is zero confirmation transactions, which is essentially an instant pay? Uh, it's basically like, you know, you tap the QR code, you start the transaction, and then you're out. How confident can vendors be, brick and mortar stores, be that that is a safe thing? Do they have to worry about double spends? And the answer is, in most cases, no, not really. Even though, as per tradition uh, or you know, crypto orthodoxy, you should probably wait around for your transaction to be confirmed to go through. But the reality is, guys, most people out there, if this stuff is to get adopted, and, and even most people in general who are in Monero right now, they're not going to know how to double spend. They're not even going to understand the concept of that. I mean, we grew up in a world where you spend something, it's gone. The trade goes through. Like the whole idea of a double spend to people is completely foreign. <laughs> now, maybe the word gets out and hackers try to do this or something, but what are they going to be doing that with? Okay, the merchants could make a rule where they say, hey, if you are going to pay over $1,000, you got to wait around for about five minutes in order to make sure the transaction goes through because uh, we don't want to risk losing that for a double spend. That makes sense. If it's for like a $25, $50 transaction, uh, you know, maybe they'll just let you go with the zero confirmation. Uh, if it's above that, maybe you got to be a member of the store. They know who you are and they can trust that you're going to have your transaction go through because you're a frequent customer. Maybe they give you a discount and then, you know, you can do the zero confirmation transaction for $50 to $1,000 and anything beyond that, you still got to wait. Uh, maybe you could do something like that. But even then, these stores, these people that you're doing business with, they probably have other parameters in check in order to make sure that their assets are secure and that their form of business is being run properly, which includes security cameras, which includes people at the door, like at Costco, who check your receipt. And who knows, maybe the part of the process of that is, you know, by the time you get to your door, hopefully the confirmation, the first confirmation goes through, they check to see if that first confirmation is there, and then, then boom, you're out. So those are just some ideas. In most cases, the zero confirmation thing is not a problem. And so essentially with Monero, you've got instant transactions already. You don't need a layer two lightning network solution. Um, so that's something to note. Let's just read this real quick. 
I see a common concern in Reddit over the need for instant transactions. I like to provide a case for why Monero's zero confirmation transactions are more sufficient for businesses to accept. Uh, or more than sufficient for businesses to accept any situation in which instant transactions are needed would be in person. For example, a drive through a restaurant, a coffee shop, a closing store. If you can provide me an example of why someone would actually need instant transactions not in person, please do. Yeah, so if you're doing business online, if you're shipping somebody to something, none of this applies. It's not a problem. You can just wait for the transactions to be confirmed. But businesses can easily accept instant zero confirmation transactions in Monero without any risk when compared to traditional fiat. Uh, let me be clear, you could argue that there is some risk technically of a fake Monero transaction, but we are comparing this to traditional fiat, which has even larger risks of fake bills, uh, which is true. Businesses worldwide have accepted fiat for hundreds of years, knowing the risk of a fake bill or fake gold, tungsten or something like that, right? Uh, or like silver, which, uh, you know, maybe is nicked with uh, nickel uh, or, you know, some other metal, right? Uh, the owner or cashier of a business may not realize they were handed a fake bill until hours or days later. Cameras, police, employees, witnesses all exist in any situation where there are instant transactions. Uh, you are not magically invisible, man. While in public physically making a Monero transaction, you are simply maintaining your financial privacy via using Monero. Uh, yeah, another thing that they could do is, you know, you go to a store and, you know, you pay in Monero. And if you're doing a zero confirmation thing, you got to go maybe like scan your id or something like that it's another thing i know anathema to the monero bros but you know who knows if if you're in san francisco you'd be able to understand right uh but then again most people they just walk out of the store (laughs) in san francisco they don't even try to pay uh you think the san francisco looters are on board with double spending (laughs) i don't think so even with a mask on in person, you are only pseudonymous at best. Well, I botched that one. Uh, pseudonymous. I don't know why that's hard. As everyone has a description of what you're wearing, your vehicle, and so on. Given you could successfully fake a Monero transaction, you risk the transaction failing within minutes, if not seconds, depending on the next block time. Even credit cards and debit cards can be reported or stolen and charged back. You can charge back credit card multiple days later. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could just say, hey, I actually didn't do this transaction. Bank goes, okay, fine. And, you know, I'm not sure what the process is after that. But, yeah, that is a thing. With Monero, the transaction would most likely fail before the cashier even hands you the product. So, the summary compared to traditional fiat, instant zero confirmation transactions post zero risk to business owners. So, pretty interesting take by that Monero, bro. And it's pretty secure. But optimally, guys, just to toe the orthodox line, you do want to wait for those confirmations to go through. But as for point number four, scalable and efficient, yeah, I mean, Monero is basically the best crypto that's out there for everyday money, okay? And just for money in general, a lot of people will argue it's the best form of digital gold. I don't go that far. I just like gold. But you can make that case in a crypto perspective like if you are to consider any crypto to be digital gold it's going to be monero okay because gold is private by default it's fungible by default that's monero on a digital level uh, even though monero you can't make you know shiny grills bro you can't flake your steaks with monero uh just can't do it bro i mean if rappers start holding up like monero cards in their videos bro <laughs> if like 
you know, they got their money counter. I got my Monero counter. Oh, that's cringe. Let's stop that immediately. I'm not a rapper. I'm a nerd, bro. But yeah, you know what I mean. If that starts to happen, which by the way, if you guys want these stickers, uh, go to, uh, shoot, where did I get these from? I think I got them from the Monero Street team. It's a Telegram group. If you guys want these stickers, uh, you could also become patrons. Uh, you could become patrons. You can give me an address, send these to you. I'll give you some stickers. I've got a bunch of them. i got a big packet. Um, anyways, Random X. This is the fifth point as to why I love Monero, why it's better than every other crypto. This makes it very unique as well. It has the most decentralized mining uh, protocol, algorithm, setup, whatever you want to call it, uh, out of every other crypto. And a lot of that has to do with RandomX. RandomX is a proof-of-work algorithm developed by Monero contributors and adopted by Monero from release 0.15. This innovative proof-of-work is optimized for CPUs, and it's based on execution of random code and many other memory-heavy memory heavy techniques. The goal is to discourage the use of specialized hardware like ASICs for mining for Monero. And that is kind of a centralized element in regards to the whole crypto sphere. If you're using ASICs to mine your crypto, well, there are only a few ASICs manufacturers. And if the government goes to these if the government goes to these ASICs manufacturers and says, hey, you need to only sell these to qualified or permitted vendors that uh, we know about and are on our list, then you're going to have problems, right? And by the way, because this is specialized hardware and most of the mining takes place in these big factories, it's much easier to know when somebody is mining a cryptocurrency, which if the government wants to crack down on crypto, you're going to have a tougher time being able to get away with mining a crypto with an ASICs than you can with your everyday laptop, which is the case for Monero. So if there is a crackdown on crypto, which is less a problem for Monero because it's private, well, it's even less a problem for Monero because there's nothing suspicious about you buying a computer. (laughs) There's no no suspicion in you buying a laptop because there's a million other use cases for it. In regards to buying ASICs hardware, the suspicion can be that much more likely that you're using it to mine crypto. And with all this environmental ESG stuff going on, uh, there could be some permit process which is in place. I mean, it could turn into like a Sudafed type deal where you go to the counter, you want to buy yourself an ASICs rig, And then you've got to like, you know, offer some doctor's note or like some, you know, Satoshi script as to why it is you got to get this stuff and why you want to get it. And, you know, maybe you got to pay a special tax. Maybe you need a license because who knows, maybe you'll kill the dolphins mining your crypto. And so you run into that problem, right? So RandomX makes that much less concern. RandomX was created with the intent of keeping mining decentralized and to create a more egalitarian distribution of the block rewards. RandomX specifications and development can be found on the GitHub repository, blah, 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 right? So, that's cool. So, RandomX, so best. Monero, best sneaky bucks. And this is by Rotten Wheel. Check out this meme. Uh, a meme is worth a thousand words. Bitcoin mining, Algo SHA-256, fake decentralization, dominated by huge ASICs farms. 0.1% of miners control 50% of the global Bitcoin hash power. Uh, meanwhile, Monero chat over here, 
Monero mining algo random X, real decentralization, no ASICs, GPUs are not very efficient, one CPU equals one vote. Now, the thing is, you can still have um, you know, entities out there buy up like a bajillion laptops and mine the stuff. That could still happen, but that's much less a concern because everyone can literally take their laptop and start mining the stuff and fight back against whatever nefarious force is trying to do that. And the Monero community is very good at battling back um, concerns about a 50% attack. There has been, and I think this actually happened in the last few months, there has been instances where certain pools got near to 50%, and not only did miners completely switch to new pools to mine from, but the pool itself that was about to go over 50% said, hey, we're going to increase the fee that you have to pay to use this pool to incentivize you to get at other pools so that there isn't the concern about a 50% attack or an executed 51% attack, um, which would destroy their profit line as well going into the future, right? Like why would they want Monero to be attacked and the legitimacy of it destroyed because their pool would not uh, be able to reap fees into the sustainable future with a broken protocol, right? So that's not even that much of concern now. But if you want your concern blunted that much more, well, you've got P2P pools now, which is development that happened the last year. Again, going back to how Monero is always developing and becoming more decentralized, more private. This is just another unbelievable development. P2P pool and its role in decentralizing Monero mining. Again, this is by Seth for Privacy. Uh, you know, we have like ranks for the Monero Bro Battalion here. We've got the generals, we've got the captains. This dude is like the Monero Bro commander, set for prophecy. Uh, he's just so based. And when it comes to the stuff, very on top of it. One of the core aims of the Monero Pro- Let me get some liquid. One of the main core aims in the Monero project is to enable a fair, decentralized, and secure network through new and innovative approaches to proof of work uh, mining, the main way that cryptocurrency networks are secured today. While a unique mining algorithm like RandomX is extremely important to this aim, as it helps us ensure that anyone with a computer can contribute a fair amount to the security of the network, RandomX does not solve the issues that can occur due to pool mining. Pool mining is by far the most common way to mine cryptocurrencies today, including Monero. But thankfully, the emergence of P2P pool mining is rapidly changing that. So he goes into pool mining. Um, He talks about the problem with pool mining. Uh, Unfortunately, this relies entirely on trust and allows the pool operator to do nefarious things with the work being done by the miners. The pool operator could use the work being done to attack the network, attempt to double spend funds if the pool is large enough, or simply use the work being done by other miners to pay themselves and never reward the miners properly for the work. So in regards to other cryptos, Bitcoin has a mining centralization problem, um, which isn't being talked about, I don't think, nearly enough. But you do have a lot of centralization in the pools, and we have seen OFAC-compliant mining pools, OFAC being the Office of Foreign Asset Control. It's part of the Treasury here in the United States, and they're responsible for blacklisting addresses and for enacting sanctions. There have been OFAC mining pools. Um, so the fact that we have a precedent for that and the fact that you know, you've got like 40% of all the Bitcoin mining taking place in the world, 40% of the hash rate here in the United States, um, there is the potential for censorship on the Bitcoin blockchain because of pool mining and because of A6 and because of corporates getting into this stuff like BlackRock, Vanguard, etc. So that's all like super worthy to note. This stuff makes 
all of that, not really a concern. And we're about to get into why. The biggest risk to the network is that of a pool. Greater than 51% of the network's hash rate under their control as they could use this to cheat and spend funds twice, a double spend attack or attempt to change the rules of the network. So what is P2P pool? P2P pool is a concept that was originally created for mining Bitcoin back in 2011, but never saw broad adoption. It remains practically unused on Bitcoin. Thankfully, one of the key developers behind RandomX, this guy, uh, I want to say his name because he deserves the cred, sure, Nikki. <laughs> spent his vacation coming up with solutions to some of the issues with Bitcoin implementation of P2P pool and rewriting all the software from scratch. Uh, so genius, bro. B2P pool in Monero allows for a completely trustless way for miners to work together to solve blocks and secure the Monero networks by using special node software for P2P pool in order to share the work. This is done by using a new blockchain, a sidechain that keeps a record of the work each miner performs, their wallet address, and how much Monero they have earned, and then pays the reward out in a trustless and decentralized way. As the sidechain has far fewer miners, it's much easier to find and submit blocks on it than the main Monero network, making it easier for miners to get consistent payouts versus mining Monero alone. How does P2P pool solve the problems of Monero mining? So there's no centralized pool centralized pool operator, or single person holding onto the funds and distributing payouts. All the work being collectively done by those mining the pool is checked by the P2P pool blockchain and other node operators to ensure that it is legitimate and all miners are paid out according to the work that they've done immediately when a block is found directly from the rewards in that found block. So um, when miners choose to use P2P pool instead of a centralized pool, they remove all power and trust from pool operators and ensure that their work contributes to the good of the network and their own rewards, reducing the risk of network attacks, misuse of their work, or theft of rewards that are owed. So this helps protect their own interests, but it also reduces the risk that centralized pools can pose to the Monero network as a whole. Um, so it's being you know, incentivized more and more to be used. And I anticipate this to go into the future. And we did talk about earlier in the hour how the GUI wallet is making it so that you can mine on the P2P pool right on the wallet. So that is pretty awesome, bro. Uh, there are some drawbacks. Main, draw, main drawback is each miner who wants to use P2P pool has their has to run their own Monero node, causing the process of getting started to be a little bit more involved. Um, yeah, so a little bit more complexity. Other key difference from centralized mining is that small miners using P2P pool have a little bit more variance or time between payouts in a large pool, but this does not lead to earning less Monero over time. So just another great article, another great development, but this has gone on a little longer than I anticipated. A good hour, a good hour. I hope that we uh, laid out some of the pretty fundamental parts of this project, which excite all of us. And there's still more to come because as we talked about the point two, there are always more developments, always more uh, magical developments to be had. So I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, it's a little bit of a good break that we took with this video because often we talk about uh, how Monero plays into... Uh, 
providing us value and security in a totally collapsing world. <laughs> but it's good to just focus on the great elements of this, you know, you know, the 10th wonder of the world, really, and why it is that, A, it's completely undervalued, it's ridiculous, but B, this could really provide you a lot of value no matter what market cap valuation that it has. Um, and it could give you a lot of self-sovereignty of your funds. It could allow you an out for your financial activities and your financial life. And I think that's becoming ever more important. And it's important to grow the parallel economy, ladies and gentlemen, with this stuff, because I think that this is our best go-to. This is our best go-to. Obviously, we need to build the parallel economy. We can't allow for, um, you know, the people who are in control of this current system to maintain the amount of leverage that they have over the economic activity and financial uh, apparatus of all of us, right? And so we need to build our own thing. I think most people recognize the value in that. But without rambling too much, like I typically do at the at the end of videos, I'm going to leave it here. So, Manero Mateo, uh, check out the donation links below for the private cryptos that we know and love. Check out us on social media. And I hope that you enjoyed the video. Like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, that's it. God bless you. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.